The Old Testament reading for this, the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Genesis, the ninth chapter. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. The epistle reading, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the third chapter. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized them, 
and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One Saturday night, a few years ago, I had the misfortune of attending a church service at a big box, non-denominational kind of place. And I really do have to use the air quotes when I say church, because it was just such an empty, me-centered, entertainment-minded affair that I can't really call it church with a straight face. Yes, they had two crosses in the auditorium. It was no sanctuary. But those were pushed off to the side. And the stage, it's not a chancel, was dominated by big decorative boxes of popcorn and a movie clapper because that was their theme for the last few months. Jesus was mentioned by name once in the verse of a song and only because it fit the rhythm better than the word God, I think. There was no mention of sin. There was no mention of forgiveness. There was no mention whatsoever of the cross, of Christ's resurrection, no mention of God's free gift of heaven given to all who believe. In fact, faith itself was a side issue at best. The entire performance, it wasn't a service, was all about what you can do as a Christian to make your life better. How you can listen better to God's word. Not scripture, of course, but the things he puts on your heart. And how you can obey his will. There was nothing at all that even hinted at the eternal benefits of Christ's love. It was all about the temporary, the now, the feelings. It was such a nearsighted vision of God's love that I was honestly saddened by it. And I couldn't wait to get to church the next day and hear our hymns and readings and liturgy that deliver real doctrine, real eternal benefits that God so freely gives. But at the same time, there are people very near to us, very dear to us, that kind of go to the opposite end of the spectrum, aren't they? People who know about Jesus, some of whom have a solid Christian faith and a right understanding of Scripture and doctrine, but just don't seem to realize that being a Christian should actually have an impact on your earthly life as well as your eternal life. Have you ever heard someone say something along the lines of, I'm a Christian, but I don't let it interfere with my fun. Basically, that means that they believe in Jesus, they want to go to heaven, but they don't feel the need to give up anything in their life. They don't want to get rid of that pesky sin. It's a lousy cop-out that says, I want to have it both ways. I want to gratify my sinful desire, sin it up while I can, but still reap all the heavenly rewards because I deserve everything that I want. And it is a rotten, self-serving, idolatrous way to live because it really rejects God's word completely. It says, I know better than you, God, 
and I love the world more than you, but I still expect you to give me eternal paradise. And while we may not be so blatant or open about it, every single one of us falls into that trap of wanting both sin and salvation. We assume that sin somehow makes our lives more enjoyable, and so we bristle at the parts when God says, Thou shalt not. We also assume that if God's going to change our lives, it's only by taking away the fun parts of sin and only by removing the earthly joy from our lives. Those are the changes that our Heavenly Father would make to us. You know, I've said so many times how God's law is a blessing. And yes, sometimes we acknowledge that God's word keeps us from sin, which in turn protects our faith, which maintains our salvation, which means we can go to heaven once we die. And that is true. But that's not all. Thinking just along those lines is kind of like the opposite of that church performance that I was talking about. That kind of thinking is a too far-sighted view of God that assumes that all of our rewards are going to come sometime far off and we just have to kind of trudge through this life bearing the wet blanket of Christianity while all our friends have way more fun than we do. Neither one of those assumptions is correct. We shouldn't be focused just on on temporal blessings and think that God is some kind of a cosmic vending machine who gives us shiny things when we want them. But we also shouldn't think that Christian joy only kicks in after we've died and finally gone to heaven. The great joy of God's blessings is that they are both here and now and forevermore. Listen to what Paul says in our epistle reading today. He says that he bows before God who gave his own name to his people, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. These are the benefits of Christian faith. And these are not things that are going to happen sometime way down the road once we get to heaven. Paul is talking in the present tense. This is our reality right now. This is what God does for us each and every day of our Christian life. He strengthens us with power. He roots and grounds us in love. He fills us with the fullness of God, all through the eternal benefits of your salvation through Jesus Christ. It's not an either-or situation. It's a both-and. God is life-giving and life-changing. We don't have to pick one or the other and say, does God benefit me here on earth and change my life? Or does God benefit me in heaven as he gives me eternal life? It's both. Your heavenly Father gives you both. Now, I don't want to turn into one of those prosperity preachers and tell you that if you believe enough, if you pray enough, if you give enough to the church, that everything's going to come up on your behalf, and then you will know bountiful blessings. Because that's just not true. We live in a sinful world. 
We ourselves are sinners. And so we are going to suffer sin's consequences even as Christians. But the fact is, when God's word touches us, when our faith is an actual priority in our lives instead of just something we feel that we have to do, our lives are indeed made better. Not just from the peace of knowing that we're saved, but in so many aspects of our everyday life. Like we heard in the gospel lesson, even those who touched the very fringe of Jesus' cloak were healed. And if grazing his garments can change a life that much, how much more can he change our lives when he is filling every aspect of everything that we do? Now let's start with the big one in our lives, finances. Now a lot of churches say that if you have enough faith, then you'll never run out of money in your life. It's not what we're talking about here. But can God's word bless you financially? Yes. When you realize what God has done for you, when you realize that all things come from God alone, when your faith, dare I say it, reaches to your wallet and your bank account, you will be better off financially. Not because the more faith you have, the more money God magically makes appear, but because God's Holy Spirit fills your heart and your life, and it gives you a right sense of stewardship. When your faith guides your finances, you learn how to prioritize properly. You know, I am always just astounded at the magical qualities of gasoline. Not only does it make our cars run, but did you know that it turns into liquid gold every Sunday morning? So often I hear people telling me that gas is so expensive, they just can't afford to come to church. And then they tell me about the sporting event that they drove to across the state, or the camping trips that they took the last two weekends, or that they drove past the church on Sunday afternoon and noticed something was going on. Is that right? Of course not. But when you put your faith first, when you realize what God actually gives you here in church and every day of your life, it changes you. It makes you realize that maybe you don't need to go into debt to get another jet ski. Maybe you don't need to spend so much time and money at the bar or the liquor store because God is far more satisfying. Maybe your family doesn't need to spend everything you've earned the last six months to go on another vacation, but instead needs to spend more time together in the Word of God and realizing what real treasures are. That brings us to another big, earthly way that God's Word can actually change us. What about our social lives? Did you realize that God's Word, filling our hearts, flowing into our daily lives, can change the relationships we have with our friends and our families? It's true. As Lutherans, sometimes we don't want to think about that. We are doctrinal. And we don't want to be those shallow Christians with a fake smile pasted on who say, awesome, all the time. God forgave our sins, and we have every right to be completely dour and serious about that at all times. But God, our Heavenly Father, He has blessed us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled. When we live out our faith, instead of just parking our backsides in the pew once or twice a month, our lives are filled with God's love. 
And that love unites us together with one another. Again, I hear so many people complain about how their kids just don't seem interested in church. Well, are you interested in it? Do you make it a priority? Do you actually talk about Jesus throughout the week so that they understand how important he is and that it's not just a Sunday morning thing you have to check in on? What about with your friends? Do you put Jesus aside and share it in with all the dirty jokes and the crude language at school and at work so you'll fit in? Or do you actually live out the precious gift of faith that he's given you and shine out like a beacon of light in this world of darkness? It's hard, I know. And none of us can do it perfectly. But you know what's great? The more you do it, the easier it gets. The more natural it gets, so that you don't feel like you're pasting on the fake Christian smile. When faith is part of your life, it flows naturally. And that affects your relationships. Friends notice that you value something more than the cheap thrills and vulgar language this world has to offer. Family members start to think that maybe church should be something important to them if it's so important to you. God's grace doesn't just have to be for later on when we get to heaven. It's right here, right now, changing our lives for the better, filling us with his precious spirit that we may have life and have it to the fullest. Not that if we do things a certain way, everything's going to go perfect for us, Not that we're instantly going to see results if we live out our faith properly. But our finances, our friendships, our relationships with one another, our own health, our wisdom, our stress levels, our jobs, our day-to-day lives, all of these things and so much more are made so much better. When they're not just a side thing of our faith, when they're not just touched by, but filled with God's grace and love. God's word is life-giving, as he has taken away our sins and given us eternal paradise in heaven. And it is life-changing, as he has let us know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not just that God gives us earthly stuff, because if we focus on just that, what good are we actually gaining? The earthly blessings are wonderful, but they are not going to last. The forgiveness of our sins... The redemption of our souls through the cross and empty tomb of Jesus, those are the eternal treasures. We're no longer lost and condemned creatures because our sin has been taken away from us. Our penalty has been paid in full by Jesus. Amid all the pain and the suffering of this world, we don't just look for a little trinket of joy here and there, but we rejoice that the eternal paradise of heaven awaits us by grace through faith. No more sin or sorrow, no more pain or suffering, no more worry or heartache. Just living for all eternity with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the glorious presence of the one true God. Feasting at his table, marveling at the eternal joy that we poor sinners are blessed to inherit. Not because of anything that we did, but because of what he did for us. Because of his death and resurrection. Because of his redemptive sacrifice on our behalf because of his victory over sin, death, and the devil. We who deserved only eternal suffering and condemnation, we are instead given the fullness of God's riches, now and forevermore. That's a message that we all need to hear, 
and we all need to apply to our lives. Is it easy? Of course not. It's always easier to set God aside, fill our lives with sin and apathy, to convince ourselves that we'll get back to our Christian faith once things settle down. It takes hard work and discipline to put away our old habits, to live lives of faith, to change from our old ways where sin and self-serving wicked desires fill our hearts, to change that to letting God's love and grace flow through every part of our lives. And don't fool yourself that it's only the people who aren't here today. It's all of us. But it is indeed also the people who are not here today, who haven't been here for months or years. But pastor, you might say, if they're not here, how are they going to hear this message and feel appropriately bad about it? Well, you know how? We'll tell them. I know that's a little shocking that we would talk about church outside of church. But that's part of it. To those people in this community who have no church home, no Christian faith, we reach out in love and proclaim that Christ our Savior gives eternal life and changes lives temporal. To those people in this very congregation that don't have time for Sunday services and Bible studies, who don't feel the need to be here to hear the word, who don't think that church is really for them anymore, we reach out in love and show them what great value and blessing we receive when God's word fills our lives. To those people in our own families, the ones who are living lives of sin, who are drifting further and further away from Christ's love, who fill their lives with anything but God's truth, we reach out in love and invite them to join us again, to once again know the joy of God's salvation, to hear that precious gospel message that Christ has forgiven all of those sins and gives us something far better. And even for ourselves, who find it so hard to be brave, who find it embarrassing to speak about our faith in a culture that hates Christianity, even to ourselves we reach out in love and we exercise our faith. We grow and develop in spiritual discipline. We pray for strength to change our ways and to be changed by the love of God. Is that easy? Absolutely not. In fact, by our own strength, it's impossible. But we don't act by our own strength. God, who, as Paul says, is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He's the one who changes us, who empowers us, who gives us the discipline and the courage to actually change our lives for the better and to share the word with others. And he's not just some motivational speaker standing beside us and encouraging us, you can do it. He is God, the creator of all things, the Lord and master and judge of all things. He is the Almighty One, the Omnipotent One, all-powerful. His Word brought all things into existence, and His Word will bring this world to an end. He is Almighty, eternal, all-knowing, and everlasting. But more than that, He's the One who suffered and died to buy you back from the fires of hell. He humbled Himself to take on human flesh, to suffer and die in your place, to pay the penalty of your transgression. He is the one who rose again on Easter morning for you, to give you the eternal victory. He is the one who claimed you in the waters of baptism and said, I am not ashamed to put my name on this wretched sinner, to make them my own beloved child. 
He's the one who miraculously feeds and nourishes your faith with his true body and blood at the sacrament of the altar. The one who wipes away your sin through the waters of baptism, through the words of absolution, who speaks to you daily through his holy scripture, who changes you inside and out, temporally and eternally. And he who has done all this, who continues to do all this, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. He is able to change our poor, miserable, wretched lives to give us life to the fullest, both forevermore in heaven and right now here on earth. Does God change the lives of the faithful? Yes. Not in an if-you-believe-hard-enough-nothing-bad-will-ever-happen kind of way. But when we who are dead in our sin are made alive by his word, when the faith that he gives us freely fills our entire lives, when we walk every single day empowered by his love and filled with his word, our lives will indeed be changed. We will prosper in ways that we never thought possible. And so will those around us as we live out a bold witness of our God-given faith. Jesus Christ did the impossible and saved you from your sin, from death, from the devil. He died and rose again to give you salvation, the free and undeserved gift of everlasting life with paradise, with him in paradise. And that paradise begins in part right now. As God allows each of us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. For by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours, now and forevermore. To him be glory forever. Amen.